ended up in Hollywood doing a, um, a big gala dinner at this tiny restaurant with the big giant outside and so they had a ton of people there and i come around the corner and drop the lasagna the whole pan on the ground bam and so the chef is screaming at me like hell's kitchen times two right Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Sean Ireton with the New Inspiration Extraordinary Gentleman podcast. Today, I have on the show a very special guest by the name of Rick Boxeth, and he's a culinary whiz kid, if you will. His company is called Catered Courses, and I actually met Chef Rick when I was doing some research online, um, trying to find a chef to be on the show. And um, he's one of the people that came up through BNI, uh, which is Business Network International. It's an organization I was a part of for uh, some time. And I found Chef Rick online there and reached out to him. And he was probably one of the coolest dudes that I ever talked to because he was just super chill on the phone. And um, we had a good conversation there and just let him know that I wanted a chef on my podcast to talk about some different tips and insights and stuff like that for you, my listeners. And we met up for coffee after that. And we had a really great conversation with what was supposed to be an hour turned into two. And we didn't even realize it until those two hours were up. Um, Just a really great guy. And what I learned about Chef Rick was that he's been a chef for almost 31 years. He received his culinary certification from the American Culinary Federation. He is a certified culinarian. He's legit. He's the real deal. And like I said, he's a private chef and he teaches cooking at companies like Hulu. And he also does more private events and things like that. So um, he's got some really cool stuff to talk about. And I think there's going to be a lot of value for him to share here for you guys. Um, And he's on the show because he wants to teach some simple, practical tips and ideas for you men to use every single day. So thank you for coming on the show, Rick. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for the intro. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm nodding my head over here. Yep, yep, that's me. Um, so yeah, so I started off, um, in high school, actually, it was a, um, ROP program. So regional occupation program, um, called chefs of the world. And it was one of those where they just did like an introduction to, uh, to culinary. And we ended up in Hollywood and I was born and raised in West Covina. So, uh, ended up in Hollywood doing a, um, a big gala dinner at this tiny restaurant with the big giant outside and so they had a ton of people there and i come around the corner and drop the lasagna the whole pan on the ground bam and so the chef is screaming at me like hell's kitchen times two right and then the uh my teacher comes around don't ever yell at my student right so it was um it was a moment that was very stressful very intense and then we all looked at each other and went, okay, there's lasagna still in the pan. How many have we served? Who's left to serve? Can we cut the rest in half? What are we going to do? And that was the addiction for me. I went, oh my God, this is intense, right? <laughs> the intensity of it was just awesome. So from there, I went to culinary school in Santa Barbara and um, and then did a three-year apprenticeship at, uh, at the Fest Parker's Red Lion Resort there in Santa Barbara. And that was under the American Culinary Federation, where I did get my certification, also certificate from the the program there. And then I went to New Orleans. Actually, at the time, I was just young and intense, you know, and and that intensity, you know, over the years kind of goes away. But man, I was, I called up, I called up uh, Chef Kevin Graham at the Windsor Court and said, I'm coming to work for you. And, uh, and he's like, who the hell are you? Right. <laughs> and so I drove my 76 Opal for four days and stayed at KOA's on the way and ended up getting there in my chef whites with my tools ready to go and put me on the line, worked there. Then I ended up back, um, in Hollywood with, uh, Michelle Richard, where I really, that's when I really uh, got into the fine dining and all that's the French hardcore stuff. And, and then, uh, Michelle one day said, you're going to France to work with Mark Manu. And, uh, 
you know, it's, I got to go to France and, and train in a, a four Michelin star restaurant. And, uh, that was, that was totally intense. So that's kind of, you know, that's my culinary story up to the point. And then kids got out that kind of stuff for a while. And, uh, and then for a while at like 12 years, and then ended up doing a lot of cool stuff where I was able to, um, have a residual income and, uh, be a kid scoutmaster, climb Mount Whitney, all that kind of cool stuff. And then just five years ago, it was like, dad, it's time to do what you love again, you know? And so that's when I started catering courses and here we are. Nice. How old were you when you went to France? <sighs> France, I was 22, 22. And how long were you there for? Uh, three months. Three months. Three months of just intensity. Very intense. What was your, uh, what was your craziest story when you were in France? We had a lot of crazy stories in France. Um, one, let me, okay. So two, two little things. So one was, um, where we come into the break room and, uh, you know, there's always champagne you know, for whatever reason, bottles of empty, like open champagne. So everybody would just be drinking champagne. And, uh, it was, it was more like, where all the apprentices went on break. And then there was cheese in the middle of the table and you would cut into it in the morning and then it would just ooze out. Like, mm. so in the afternoon you come back and it's just, you just kind of pick your cheese up with your bread off the table. You know? And then, um, then the, the other thing was, um, whenever you left, they would grab you by your arms and legs and toss you into the stream that, that ran underneath the restaurant. So that was, that was an interesting Thing. And then, oh, there's a bunch of stories I could go on. The uh, April 1st, April, so April Fool's Day there is really intense. So they move somebody's car to the other side of the road and they just do stuff like that. They really take April April Fool's Day serious. So, What was the thing about throwing you into a stream? What, why, why did that happen? It's kind of your, your exit. You know, if you're leaving the restaurant, like you're done, they they toss you in the stream. It's just, yeah, it was just what they did. Yeah. Why is that? Why is that a tradition? Why do they do that? I don't even know. It's just cold. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the water's cold. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, and then the other thing from France that I'll never forget. And I told myself at the moment, I would never forget was I, the maitre d' at the restaurant, uh, invited me to his place. And it's a, flat in a castle with the giant wood beams is beautiful. And, um, we're sitting by the six foot gigantic fireplace, smoking a Cuban and drinking the finest port. And I said to myself, right, that I never, I will never forget this moment. And I have it. It was such an experience. That's cool. What, um, now what restaurant was it that you were that you were at in France? It's called L'Esperance, you know, and when I got there, I realized <laughs> I knew nothing. It was so awesome. Yeah. It was just amazing. I had to make pizza every Thursday because I was, I was the stupid American that ate McDonald's and ate pizza and that's all I knew. <laughs> so I made pizza for everybody every Thursday. Big sheet pan. It was funny. That's cool. So that was like your boot camp. Oh yeah, definitely. And what was the, what was like, what were your work hours like? How, what did you do on a daily basis? Uh, so, yeah, it was it was really intense. Um, so basically, so the way it works is you've got a lot of apprentices. We had 32 cooks for 100 diners, if you can imagine that. The kitchen bigger than the restaurant. You know, it's, it's massive and it's divided into departments. And uh, so where did all these people stay? You know, we're in the middle of right near Dijon, uh, you know, in the middle of nowhere. So most of the apprentices stayed at this rat infested hotel down the way. And they were really mad at me because I got to stay at the hotel. It was just beautiful. And right below the Basilique St. Madeleine. And, but it wasn't like I was staying at the hotel. They, you would move this mop bucket and all the, the like maintenance stuff, open this little wooden door. And then I had this long bench with a mattress on it, a sink and a window. And that was it. But it was, 
it was like the luxury accommodation. So I would crawl out of there in the morning early. Uh, I don't know, seven, something like that. And then we'd get in there and the crazy thing, we'd mop the floor. If you haven't even started yet and you mopped it last night, doesn't matter. Hmm. You mop the floor first thing. Then we get started, do all the prep and then mop the floor again and then take your break and then come back for lunch, do the lunch, clean everything, mop the floor again, come back, prep for the afternoon, mop the floor again. And then we would do the dinner service, finish up, mop the floor again. So a very clean kitchen. And that was the day. I mean, it was two services and it was from, you know, seven, eight in the morning until what, 11 at night, depending upon the day. Uh, sometimes, you know, service wasn't as full as like a weekend would be or something, but, uh, for the, for the evening. But yeah, that was our typical, our typical day. Ah, uh, that's crazy. And you, and you guys didn't have to like clean the restaurant part, right? Like that was, was that just the wait staff and stuff like that? Or you guys take part in that as well? No, just the kitchen, but, but the kitchen alone, I mean, it was just beautiful, massive, just picture lines of copper pots, beautifully polished, hanging above every station. You know, it was gorgeous. It was, it was, um, pride, yeah. just absolute, absolute pride, you know, in, in that, you know, like when I put on my chef hat, you know, and I just, my shoulders go back, I stand up straight and I put that hat on and it's, it's ready. It's time, you know, it's time to get in that kitchen and, and make it happen. Yeah. Very cool. And it was just mopping the floors for you. You didn't have to clean like the ovens and stuff like that. And the no, we did, ev- we did yeah. everything. I mean, I think <laughs> I just kind of used mop the floors as, you know, the thing because, because usually you clean the kitchen all the time, you know, it's just part of what you do, but to actually just scrub and mop that floor is something you do, you know, on a daily basis in a regular kitchen, not four or five times a day, but that's the way, you know, that's, that was it, you know, it's over the top because it's a four Michelin star restaurant, yeah. you know, and it's going to stay there. And there's only one way to stay. It's to always be on top. So that's, that's, it's not an exaggeration when you watch a show like Hell's Kitchen and they punish the chefs to clean the kitchen, right? Like that's a pretty accurate representation. <laughs> so, so <laughs> let's go back to the day. All right. When my first kitchen job back in West Covina at the Velvet Turtle. So I was hung over as <laughs> could be. I was just at the, oh, could you come in? Of course I could come in. I'm a brand new to the kitchen. I got to be there. So it turns out, I had to clean the meat drawers because I was obviously hung over. So you take the drawers out and clean all this stuff that fell behind. And the, yeah, so yeah, definitely punish the, uh, <laughs> for, for things done wrong, for, you know, being hung over for anything you can, you, you definitely do that. What was the struggle with the, with the meat drawers? Oh, it's just, nasty back there you know if you, when you take everything out if anything fell behind or anything like that it's just it's just not a it doesn't smell good there you go uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. so what were your um a- after you left that restaurant in france and everything like that what what was your next move so i was right back to citrus where you know michelle sent me from and uh it, that just in a different level at that point. You know, I mean, I know when I think about it, you know, three years would have been awesome, you know, <laughs> but, but three months was, it was, it was life changing. It really was. So especially in the, in my culinary world, you know, in my culinary experience. So I was able to jump in into more of the management side and, uh, and actually help out when uh, Alain Giraud had left Citrus at the time, and I was able to kind of kind of step into his position. I mean, it's it's hard it, it's it's hard to say that I was in his position because you're talking about a famous French chef, you know, and and I just don't don't see you know what I mean. It, it's a respect, man. I mean, these guys are brilliant. And Michelle himself would be, okay, I want 
the guest to experience this, whatever that is. And it would, he would make that happen and it would, they would taste it and he would be like, I know, you know, I I know because that is exactly what I had planned for you. That exact moment that when it hit your palate, when you went, whoa, whatever it was, he's like, I knew that. I knew that was coming. And that's something that I think about today. Like, what is it going to be like on the fork? You know, I'm always thinking about that when I'm cooking. You know, it may be in the in the, the crudest form of, of a pasta, but it's not even cooked yet. But I'm thinking about how cooked does it need to be for when it leaves here, gets there, and gets into your mouth. It's it's just that whole. So, so yeah. So that was dangerous. How did he teach that process? Like, how was that? Um, how did how was that something that you learned? Because obviously, with different industries, you can be taught certain things, and then there are other things that you just are innately good at that you just have to develop. What was what was the learning process in that in that phase of him teaching you the experience and uh, reverse engineering the the flavor profile on the fork and stuff like that? Like, how does how did that happen? So that's just his kitchen. So it, it becomes a, it's, it's a, um, what is that? Like not lifestyle, but it's, it's a, it's, it's the, the heart of the kitchen is that, you know, that when he's not there, you want it still to be continuing. So, so it's always that, um, would you put your name on that? You know, if you wouldn't put your name on it, then it's not going out the window you know, seared, just, it's not. So it takes, you know, so there's a bunch of eyes on every dish, um, especially in France when you had 32 cooks in the kitchen, (laughs) you know, everything had just multiple parts, but so, so yeah, so really having that, um, that work ethic, I guess it's, that's taught to where, um, to where you go, but then, then there's school too. So school, having gone to school and been blindfolded and had to figure, figure out what herb is what by smell, things like that. Um, those kind of things help. So you already have your own kind of palette and then him, you know, Michelle, uh, or Alan or Patrick at the time, they, they would always be there to, to taste and check. And, um, you know, Michelle would do the, uh, the old, uh, you know, just the French thing where he was, he had to see through some things, uh, back then, but, uh, you know, if it's not the right flavor, it needs more salt, less salt. What were you thinking? Um, throw it away, you know, that kind of thing. So how do you refine that palate? Like, how do you get good at that blindfold test where you say like, okay, this is chicken or this is duck. Like, how do you, how do you get better at that kind of, uh, that process? And then what are the biggest differences between cooks in France versus here in the States, especially California, because I know California is already super laid back with a lot of things. So I'm curious to see the juxtaposition between the cultures in culinary worlds. Yeah, night and day. But um, yeah. So in response to the first question, I mean, you're talking about um, years. It's years. Like you want to master something, it's 10,000 hours, right? I mean, it's it's just having the experience, being in the kitchen. Um, young chefs uh, always need to, you know, so say you're, you want to be a big chef. Well, stay as low as you can for as long as you can is always the thing. Meaning just go to different amazing kitchens. Don't be the chef, just learn, absorb. And, and that learning process is, you know, sometimes where they're yelling at you. So there was a day. So I went to a lot and I said, Michelle keeps yelling at me, you know? And, and, uh, he says, do you notice how, you know, he, if he yells at anyone else, do you notice, you know, no, he only yells at me. He goes, well, that tells you something, you know? And, and it was, I mean, it, it, for me, I was like, yeah, it sucks to be yelled at. And, you know, the whole hell's kitchen thing. But at the same time, he was really on me to bring out what I could really do. 
And, and it shows today in my cooking. It absolutely does. I think about him when I'm whisking a sauce, I'm doing a figure eight with my whisk. And it's like, why are you doing a figure eight? Because if Michelle were alive, you'd come over here and kill me because you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's in my brain, you know? So, so that's, uh, that's that. And then as far as, uh, chefs here and chefs in France, you know, that's, that's a tough one. I mean, it's it's different. It's a whole different thing when you're young in France and you decide your career because you have to decide your career at a certain age. Then if you choose culinary, you're in young and you're an apprentice like there were of the 32 cooks, you know, 20 of them were apprentices, maybe maybe 15, something like that. So so you're apprenticing in these places. Um Maybe that's why we mop the floor all the time because we had young apprentices to do it. But um, but it was uh, yeah. So it's just different. It's a whole different thing. The the way people treat chefs. The way you know here it's it's more of a celebrity type of thing. There it's more of um, an honor and respect by going to their restaurant and being blown away. And people that have palates that understand that stuff. You know, some of the chefs here are pulling on some great things. And, you know, people with a, a palate that doesn't understand it, you know, it, it's hard. You know, it's like your audience doesn't fit, you know. So what's, uh, you know, what was your what was one of your biggest challenges coming up as a professional chef? Just hanging in and, you know, there's so it's, it's, it's intense. I mean, the hours are brutal, you know, 16 hours a day, easy, you know, back in Citrus, it was seven days a week. Well, it was six days, you know, I had Sunday off unless, you know, something was going on, but, um, and that's, that's hard on you, you know, after a while, you know, so the kitchen itself, um, yeah, biggest challenge was just to stay, you know, to, to really realize that passion outwins uh, an exhausted body, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and what's your uh, biggest challenge today with your business? Like having mm-hmm. thought about all the stuff that you'd been through before uh, as a young chef and, you know, coming up through the ranks, like what's the biggest challenge today right now with everything that you know still, like what's the biggest challenge Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I guess I, I don't even know. I mean, because it, it doesn't seem like a challenge. It, it, everything is so. So what I've created with catered courses is my playground, basically. So so if someone wants, you know, to have me come cook for them table side, it, the question is, well, what's your favorite meal? Where were you? You know, kind of get into their head and find out all that. And that's not a challenge. That's like super fun, you know? So then I figure all that out and what they want me to do. And then we, you know, then I get to get creative and come up with all the, you know, so, so really, and then with produce and everything else, you know, we can get any types of meats, any types, you know, from all my different purveyors. So that's not a challenge anymore. You know, you could, you could really write a crazy menu and then, you know, know that you have the stuff to, you know, but mostly I would, I would go with the seasonal, you know, make sure we had, you know, the freshest and all that stuff, but, uh, to, you know, whatever was, uh, local and, and that kind of thing. So the challenge, I'm still trying to think of a challenge while I'm answering <laughs> this, but uh, I don't know. I mean, nah, I, I think that's, it's not too crazy right now. Cause there's, no, I'm not, I'm not coming up with a challenge. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there has to be something, right? Like if there's, like, if there's, uh, you know, like we were recently talking about your marketing efforts and stuff like that. I mean, that's uh, certainly a challenge for you, but like, as far as being a chef is concerned, um, working with a team or, um, doing the process of prepping for a big corporate, buffet right or something like that there's got to be a challenge in there somewhere right well yeah i mean the the numbers are a challenge you know so if we're doing a uh, an event for 500 well yeah i mean you're looking at the challenge of but it's not a challenge i mean <laughs> at that point it's okay how do we how do we pull this off and that's what drew me to the business in the first place you know what i mean so so i guess 
what I don't see as a challenge is a challenge. So, you know, so, so the, uh, finding the, you know, we need to rent a truck because you're talking about 500 people. We got multiple stations. We've got, you know, whatever it is, we're going to need a sushi guy. We're going to need a, so yeah, there's challenges in finding, but, but, you know, we've got, there's, there's a lot of great talent, you know, so I've, I found, and, and there's also the fact that food is food. I mean, when you get down to it, I mean, so, so you may grab like a tomato and like, ah, I just want to you know, smell that tomato. And, and it's different because there's a little more acid in it. It's a little sweeter than the other tomatoes that you had last week when you made that same sauce. So, so there's always those little things, but, but it's, I don't know. I mean, people, I, the people that I work with, my cooks, my staff, they just, they're awesome. I mean, I treat them like that and they act like that, you know? And, and I think that's kind of takes that challenge out, you know, because, because we're looking for, again, we're looking for what is going to be on that fork. So we have this common goal of a satisfied customer and that's, you know, it takes all the, the, Blah, 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 you know, whatever happens between us out of the equation, because, you know, is that going to be good? Well, yeah. Okay. Then proceed. Right. Right. Yeah. So the point of bringing that up is, is more so to, to, to provide a lesson. And what I'm hearing the lesson is, is that you should always have a great network of people that you can trust vendor relationships. So, always leverage your network to the best of your ability and, and make sure that everybody wins in the situation. So that's kind of what I'm hearing from that challenge. Um, and how yeah, do that, you, that's what I was trying to say. Okay, cool. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now what's, what is your network look like? Like how do you find the right people to add value to what you're trying to do? Um, so I work with a couple other caterers that um, because it's kind of like uh, like doctors with specialties, you know, so um, I've got caterers call me and say, hey, I've got a customer whom I've done, you know, some big parties for that wants a fine dining experience. Boom. Well, you know, that's me. Um, I also go to them. Hey, we've got 500. Uh, can you help me out? Of course. And uh, and then their staff as well. Like I'll go to other kitchens and work with their staff and um, vice versa. You know, I'll have them go, hey, can you can you make uh, you know, 200 mini beef Wellingtons for us? You know, and it's actually, well, I, I, you know, I won't share my recipe, but I'll share the end product. You gotcha. know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, but no, but we it's funny because I see my stuff on um, on other caterers menus now that I know well and vice versa, but, you know, I've taken a few things from, uh, from them and, and they know and we, we talk about it, you know? So, so I think, you know, that like having in order to have a good network, just have a good attitude, you know? And, and that's, I think how it works, you know, when I'm in a pinch, which I, you know, borrowing shaping dishes, stuff like that. I mean, come through like no problem. Come get them when you need them. You know, and the same thing here, I'll, I'll even drive it over and drop it for you, you know, because, because, um, I had, there's enough business for everyone and, and, uh, sometimes, yeah, it's a good way to be. Yeah. That's cool, man. Um, so now with, with your career and everything, there's so much food on these like corporate catering menus that you've got. There's just a ton of food. Um, how do you prepare for those like large scale catering events? I just go for it. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just a different scale, you know, instead of making one pan, you're making two, instead of having one giant roasting pan, you're making 10, you know, whatever you just up the numbers, obviously for more people. And then the challenge is on location. So, so you figure, figure out if there's uh, ovens or, uh, what they have in their kitchen. And then sometimes we even rent stuff and we'll end up um, renting ovens and building like an outdoor kitchen, depending upon the size. But then you can actually take it further back and 
think about all that stuff and kind of take the challenge out of it again, because I like taking challenges away, um, by creating a menu that fits where you're going to be and what you're going to do. So, so it would be like, okay, so if we have more cold appetizers, then those are out of the kitchen altogether. We can have all the cold stuff being done over there. And then if we, whatever hot stuff we have, we just figure, you know, what kind of space we need, what can hold, what cannot, how early we can do it, that kind of stuff. And so that's usually how we do that. But then there's also the challenge of staff because you've got a lot of people to serve. You need maybe 20 servers for 500, right? So you've got, um, you've got to go into that part. And what I've done in the past is actually hired another caterer to staff the event. So they, we did 220 people wedding and they did the entire front of the house, had the exact style of, uh, of their you know, pies and, and everything they wanted. They even asked them to, to grow some beards for the bartenders and stuff like that. And uh, so they were able to handle all that. And then I could focus on the food, which is you know, where I excel. So, oh, okay, great. So it's a lot of adaptability here. Yeah. And then show up and not have, uh, have forgotten something or, you know, always be prepared to, you know, to, <laughs> you're only as good as your checklist. And there's some times when, you know, especially creating it new every time, you know, when I'm doing so many different dishes and so many different styles of food, you know, you've, you've really got to have a good checklist to know what you're going to need. You know? Yeah, for sure. Is there a particular chef other than Michelle? Is there, <laughs> is there a particular chef that you admire the most? Who would that be and why? Uh, chef I admire the most. Hmm. Uh, Michelle. Yeah. I still, I miss him. <laughs> I miss him so much, but no, but as far, I mean, I, there's, there's chefs that come to mind that that have their particular um, their style, and I can picture their food more can, more than I can picture them. Um, uh, Kevin Graham, still, I mean, it's kind of like more chefs I've worked with. I think that yeah. that uh, that have had an influence on me. Um, I I like um, Jamie Oliver, who's the Naked Chef. Um, I. I I admire him because he really put his career on the line when he went after the Los Angeles schools, you know, and, and their lunch program. And, uh, you know, his food, bef you know, before then is always been from the heart, you know, um, that's why he's called a naked chef. You know, he doesn't right. put a bunch of crap on it, you know, it's not breaded and all that stuff. And, and, uh, I remember seeing something, I don't know if it was in a cookbook or what, but it was just that fish wrapped in paper and thrown in the coals, you know, that's like, that's real, that's real food. I love that. So yeah. And then, and then you, I guess, because we have the celebrity status, you know, he took his celebrity status and just went after the, the school pro uh, food program. And I think, He's really brought in a lot of attention to it, yeah. which it needs, you know, I mean, <laughs> pizza, pizza. Yeah. So what, what exactly was, um, for, for those of us who may be unfamiliar with what he was doing, what was, what was going on in the school lunch program that he saw a problem with and how did he uh, solve that problem or how did he kind of try to resolve it? Yeah. So he, I mean, you can look it up for sure and, and check it out. It's really awesome. But he basically just was calling them out for what they're feeding the kids. I mean, pizza with this super thick and crust and cheese and just the tomato sauce and, and not having any vegetables, um, anything like that, having a high, sugar drinks and all of the, um, at the vending machines and stuff like that. It was just basically looking at the obesity and, um, and then about, you know, and every, the academic performance, all this stuff leads back to proper nutrition. So he basically started this campaign to go in and show them like, there's one, he has a bucket of fat, you know, just a bucket of fat. He's like this, look at that. This is what's in there. You know, kind of because a lot of the labeling 
um, a lot of the the companies that are putting, you know, selling stuff to the schools and uh, just are, they're not, there's a lot of, a lot of things in there that don't need to be. Yeah. Gotcha. So I wanted to start to move to the, the tips and actionable insights that people can take. Um, so I want to I want to kick this off with one particular question that I had in mind, and and that's in regards to fat and sodium. So fat and sodium tend to be a dietary problem for a lot of Americans and a lot of Americans who want to stay particularly fit. Maybe there's some people with heart disease or other um, issues like that. Uh, what would you do to maintain flavor in a dish while reducing that fat and sodium content? Uh, I mean, it, it, there's there's different herbs you can use. There's a there's a salt free you know herb blend you can actually buy. Um, so so you kind of go to the herb side. Um, you could also go to the vinegar side. You know where you have more of a, a lemony. Um, you know, the acid side, we would call it where you'd have like a red wine, vinegar, apple cider, vinegar, lemon, that kind of thing to, to really give it a, a zing without, you know, having the salt. Um, and then there's, you know, cookbooks out there that, you know, that are, that are geared toward that stuff. Um, and for me, um, gluten-free, you know, so, so my son, uh, years ago broke out in hives when he had uh, a flour thickened sauce. And, uh, so that really told us, you know, he's got a a crazy reaction to gluten. So, so we ended up going gluten free and what, what it did is, you know, donuts are made with flour. So those sugary, beautiful donuts, (laughs) I can't eat them because they got gluten. Right. So it, it's avoiding sugar, right? It's avoiding fat, but no, it's avoiding gluten, right? So it kind of changed the mindset. So avoiding gluten is avoiding bread, damn pizza, you know, so gluten-free crust, you know, so, so that kind of thing. So, so basically, um, for, for us at least, I mean, I, I'm the, the skinny chef you can trust. Um, I don't eat gluten mostly. I mean, I've got, if, if I come across a good pano chocolate, I mean, of course I'm going to cave, but now what is besides that? that, what is that? It's a chocolate croissant. Okay. Cause you're it's, getting fancy on me. I uh, didn't know what that was. <laughs> le, le pano chocolate. Yeah. That's, that's French for uh, chocolate croissant. And, and in France, I mean, there's this, this, weird layer of chocolate like spread in there that's that's just delicious you know it, you can't you can't beat it so yeah something nutella yeah. can't beat apparently for the rest of us yeah. americans <laughs> no 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 it, it's just different and the way they, their pastry well number one is their products i mean they're starting with butter that's butter you know it's bright yellow cream that they just leave out because it's got so much fat and it just stays you know it's it's different start you know starting with the the ingredients and those you know like we talk about in our kitchen you know the elements that make a dish you know and and sometimes you you taste it of course but you don't even have to because you already know the right elements went in and this we know what we got right you know right So back to that, um, the healthy part of it. So, um, what are some recipes that you can kind of name off the back of your hand, right? uh, Of something that you've cooked, uh, that is lower in fat, sodium and sugar, something that would normally be high in those, um, ingredients, but you've kind of reduced that. Well, I think it's more of an, of an avoidance, you know? So, so it's like, like we like to play with the classics, right? So we like to take like um, like some of my mom's recipes actually, and and make them. And so we have a uh, I do a what is that dish? It's or it's actually a, a dessert. It's a pumpkin mousse. Okay, so you use like non-fat, non-fat. Um, what's it called? Condensed milk. Uh, the pumpkin puree, which is perfectly pumpkin puree. And then, um, then you can use a non-fat, non-dairy whipped cream type of thing, uh, for, for the, the whole. So that's a good one. And it's, uh, it's tasty and, uh, you know, fluffy and light and lots of flavor because you put pumpkin pie spice in it as well. <laughs> um, so that's one, um, as far as entrees go, 
chicken. You know, I love, so, so this will kind of address another thing I wanted to talk about, which was meals for the week. You know, so chicken breasts, you basically take a bunch of chicken breasts and, you know, you just salt, pepper them and throw them in the oven and 25 minutes about use your thermometer, make sure they're 160. And then you've got a nice chicken breast. I mean, I did say salt and pepper because my fingers were moving like in my little salt motion uh, because we salt and pepper everything. So in that case, you know, you, you just go real light on the salt or, or don't salt at all. You could just have a peppered chicken, you know, and, and, uh, the chick, it's still going to have a really good flavor. And then you make a really good dressing, you know, um, dressings are something to talk about because there's a lot of sugar in dressings, lots of sugar. I mean, one that I make has a couple of tablespoons in, in it's, you know, my champagne vinaigrette. And, uh, you know, it doesn't kill you to leave it out. Yeah. You know? So making your own dressing and not putting sugar in it is, is a good way to do it. And then you have your high acid, you know, your, your lemon, uh, your, your, like I said, champagne vinegar, stuff like that. So it gives it really good flavor. And then you could dice up that chicken, put it in that dressing, throw it on a salad. Voila. Nice. So what are some like dressing recipes that you could kind of quickly talk about? Because I know that there's some simple ones like cilantro lime dressings and stuff like that that you can do really easily. But what are a few different dressings that you'd recommend? Well, the, one of the ones I love is, is my champagne vinaigrette because it has um, shallots and garlic. So you just put a tablespoon of shallot and a teaspoon of garlic in your food processor along with a half cup of um, uh, champagne vinegar and then a tablespoon of mustard and um, then, yeah, no sugar. <laughs> and then you go ahead and that up and then you, you drizzle in your oil and you use a, a good canola oil and, just, and then it, it becomes a, a great dressing. Really cool. simple. Sounds like those are some recipes that you're, uh, some ingredients that you can buy at a regular store too, right? You don't have to go to a special yeah. store for, at least for the champagne right. vinegar. I don't, I don't think I've ever looked yeah. for that, but. You could, you could use a wine vinegar as well. You know, any kind of wine vinegar works and you can find those anywhere. Champagne vinegar. There's a, a brand called O that I like that is just really good. It just has a great flavor that comes through. And I think that's uh, whole foods. Okay, cool. Um, so for, for the rest of these tips now for single men, I wanted to help those guys out in particular. So what are some, what are a few recipes and some methods for those recipes? Um, you know, maybe if you want to include like the, the tablespoon count or the cups or whatever measurements Mm -hmm. you need, just so that they can go back and reference this, um, like, so for cooking for themselves and cooking to impress a date, what are some few different things that they can do there? Okay. So cooking for yourself, um, you know, it's about what you have on hand, you know, so I, I think you kind of got to have a, a well-stocked pantry, you know, so you've got to just have stuff in there because, you know, you're on your way home and you're thinking, God, I got nothing at home. I'm just going to stop and eat Taco Bell, you know? Oh, I said it. Um, so instead, you know that, Hey, I've got some deep set stuff at home. So maybe, maybe one day you were really, um, you were really like gung ho and you decided you're going to cook some of those chicken breasts I told you about, and you have them in your freezer. Right. So you go, Oh, tomorrow I'm going to have you pull it out, put it in the fridge. Next day you grab your chicken breast out, cut it up, and I mean, you can literally make anything with that. I mean, you can make uh, a chicken salad, uh, chicken tacos, you know, in anything. There's a lot of ways to go with it. So, but so as far as like the actual recipe, um, where where I would more allude to like a cookbook, you know, to some cookbooks and stuff. Then I hear a banging sound. It's my dog. Oh, okay. He was like, <laughs> 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 you know, yeah. 
he's back to sleep. Um, so as far as like a recipe, um, I, I come up with a lot of stuff off the top of my head, you know? So, so again, it's kind of about having those ingredients in your fridge or in your pantry where you're able to grab and put something cool together. But, but to, kind of and and then if i gave like one recipe it's not really a sustainable thing so i'd rather allude to like a couple cookbooks that okay i think makes sense so one of them is called saving dinner and i referred it to a friend of mine and said well our saving dinner book is thrashed i mean it is completely destroyed because it's full of i mean it's just been used you know and it has some of my favorite recipes in it and it's easy. It has a grocery list for Sunday and then food for an entire week. And it actually has for an entire year in this book. I turned a friend of mine onto it, like I said, and he went and found the saving dinner basics or something. And his wife was like, Oh, you mean you use a separate measuring cup for, for flour than you do for a liquid, you know? So for me, I'm laughing. Right. But no, I mean, everyone starts and a lot of people don't. Uh, that's one of the things we have. A hard, when I'm writing a recipe, I'm like, bah, you know, and people are like, what does that mean? You know, I like just whisk it, fold it, you know, and then spread it evenly and knock it on the counter. And, you know, <laughs> and they're just like, what are you talking about? You know, it's simple. And I use the word simple too much. I know I do because people go what's simple about that? Well, it's simple to me, you know? So, so basically a saving dinner is a good place to start, especially if you don't have any cooking experience at all. And I'm just saying this because I mean, our book is a disaster and and we love it. still, there's a, a Tuscan white bean and sausage soup in there. That's amazing. Cool. And it's, and we use a chicken nonfat or a, a chicken sausage. So an Italian chicken sausage that's, you know, takes a lot of the fat out of it as well. So for that cookbook, for example, um, for a collection of recipes, obviously cooking for themselves would be something where you don't necessarily have to go crazy. And if you're just cooking simple for yourself, like you don't have to do any kind of crazy recipes or anything like that. But if you're trying to impress a date, like what were, what would be some simple recipes or, uh, more romantic kind of recipes that guys could use to impress their date or even impress their wife? Uh, you know, what kind of things can they do there? Well, the romantic part is, I think, is the discovery. So first of all, you're going to ask her what she likes. You know, you're going to really get into her. Like, um, and women love that, right? So that's that's the big thing. You are going to cook for her from your heart and you're going to cook what she wants. Oh my, I'm already getting goosebumps, right? I mean, that is intense, right? So it's just, it's so, yeah. So find out what she likes, really pay attention, (laughs) take notes if you need to, because there's nothing worse than finding out what she likes and then putting what she doesn't like and putting it in the dish. You go, oh, oops, because we're guys, right? Um, So so what you'll do is um, after that, you know, you, you pretty much can figure it out. I mean, there's so many like videos and stuff online. But for me, so say she says, I like everything, right? There's always that, right? So you're like, great, that I've got it. So in this situation, which I think is where we're going, where we need to go, is, um, you know, for me, I, I get all technical, you know, I'm like, we're making a souffle, we're going, but we're talking about the average guy that just wants to make something. So you could, you know, do, uh, there's a lot of, so Trader Joe's, I mean, I, I'm real, you know, I, I, I would roll this up myself and all that. They have a, a roast, a pork roast that's stuffed with herbs and wrapped in bacon called pork cheddar. Okay, it is amazing. And you put it in the oven, you check the temperature, and you slice this thing, and it's gorgeous. So that's a good one. You know, there's a lot of um, Trader Joe's uh, has a lot of stuff that helps you along. You know, you can get lobster and, you know, things like that if you wanted to get crazy, you know, and steaming a lobster is not as hard. Well, back in the day, we would have the apprentices steam the lot or drop the lobsters, you know, in the giant water with 
we would, yeah, like whole live lobsters. And we would tell them to make sure they don't turn red, you know, like, or orange, you know, like they do, they change color. <laughs> and they would be freaking, oh my God, they turn red, you know? So, yeah, but so, yeah, lobster, um, it's always kind of that, ooh, that romantic thing, right? Um, shrimp, shrimp are surprisingly easy to work with. You know, you buy them peeled and deveined already. Saute them up, have some pasta going. Um, yeah, not, I butter, you know, I mean, once your shrimp are cooked in that, sauteed in that pan, then you uh, put some butter in there, some herbs, and probably some parsley, some garlic, and and then uh, taste it, a little lemon juice, and then your pasta is ready, and put them together, and away you go. So things like that. Very cool. Awesome. Um, and, uh, I think that, I mean, I think that covers it for, for most situations, but the next thing that I want to touch on is for the guys who have a family, right? So like how, how can they, with their wife or partner or whoever, um, how can they prep for, uh, cooking for their entire family? Yeah, that's, that's a good one. There's a, um, not your mother's, uh, I'm thinking, I'm remembering this one, not your mother's. Uh, make ahead and freeze cookbook. So, uh, and, and think about it. Like, so I've got a lot of stuff on my mind that I can just, boom, I can pull out, pull out of my brain and make a dish and create and all that. But believe me, I've got a giant book that has all these things written down in a lot of recipes I've found, a lot of things I've created, a lot of stuff. So, so when I keep referencing back to cookbooks it's because that's a you know, that's what you more have to rely on at, at their stage, you know, than, than I do. But for a family, saving dinner, you know, saving dinner is made for the family of four. So it, when when we talk about the guys, the guys who are maybe looking at saving dinner, learning the tips, they can cook it all and freeze half, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, and then that one day when they're like, Oh man, what am I going to eat? Oh yeah, I got that, you know, chili in the, in the freezer from, you know, when I made it last week or a couple a month ago or whatever. And then, um, there's also a cookbook we use called good cheap eats, which is exactly what it says. Good cheap eats. Um, but the way we do it now, so the family, you want to, uh, cook for like, we're talking about like a week is what I'm thinking. So what we do is we actually write a menu. So we get out good cheap eats, saving dinner, um, whatever bar. We've got a bunch of cookbooks that we pull out and we go through them and go, Ooh, that looks good. Oh, let's do that. And then we get our menu written on a chalkboard, which hangs in the kitchen, which is funny, but it's there. And then, um, we, we take all the recipes and go shopping. So that's on Sunday. And then during the week, um, whomever's here, there'd be a, there's another list that we have um, that uh, that'll tell like where it is. So we have GCE page 49. So if I look and I go, oh, black bean burgers, GCE page 49. And I open the page 49 and Gucci eats and there's the black bean burgers. And if I'm you know home or my oldest is, is home and he wants to start dinner, he can pull out, pull out the recipe and know that all those ingredients are somewhere, whether the black beans cans in the, in the pantry or the, the whatever it is, you know, the, the jalapenos are in the refrigerator, that kind of thing. Are there any particular websites that you'd recommend people visit for, for really good recipes? Um, one of the, the places that I get some good stuff from is, um, taste has just a bunch of recipes. And I, I go through like kind of those, the cookbook type of format is what I like, you know, so there's the recipe, you can press print if you want it that way. And then, um, and then there's also apps, like you were mentioning, um, apps that you could uh, have on your phone and actually look up what ingredients you want. And then here comes your recipe. So, so yeah, it's getting, uh, back in my day, you know, there was no internet, there was no Google, there was, uh, a library. We had over 400 cookbooks 
uh, in our apartment. You know, it took up half the apartment, <laughs> but that's the way it was. And and we would go and we would. And I think that's why I remember a lot of recipes, because we didn't have Google. We couldn't just go look it up. We actually had to remember, you know, or we had to go back to the book. So the brain was like, no, you don't want to go back and try to find that cookbook in 400. You want to remember this. So got it. Yeah. Very cool. So um, to wrap things up here, I wanted to ask you a question about your image and what is your image saying about you today? I I love that question. So, um, so I, I live in my chef wine. So I'll go to my closet and, you know, there's really not a lot of fashion in there, but there's my chef coats and my chef pants. And I think what would be the most comfortable thing for me to wear today? Ah, my chef, my chef outfit. And I throw it on and I actually go out into town wearing my chef coat and my chef pants. And I get in some great conversations, you know, meet a lot of cool people. So most of the, and what it says about me is professional. Um, It's also speaks a lot to my passion because I, I love, I love wearing my chef coat. I love cooking, you know, so it's, uh, and then I've got my name, my crazy CR logo on the, on the breast of my jacket. So I like, uh, I like that too. That says something about, you know, people always know my name. I like that. And, and then, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it's kind of very, it, it, that falls within the subject matter I touched on in a previous podcast episode that I released about this concept known as enclosed cognition. And it was this idea, <clears throat> this theory that, uh, depending on what you're wearing, it can alter how you view yourself as well as, as well as how other people view you and their opinions of you. Um, and the way you're talking about your chef outfit plays directly into this whole idea of enclosed cognition. So depending on your industry, if you are a chef like chef Rick, um, and you're putting your, your chef outfit on that gives you a concept, a self feeling of expertise. You feel like you really are the person who you are passionate about. Um, and who you want to become and things like that. But if you're not a chef, if you're in a different industry like business or something like that, and you have to wear a suit, um, then you're going to feel the same kind of effect. Uh, you're going to feel more confident with, with who you are and what you do as a result. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just really interesting that you, that you bring that aspect up, um, with, with your, with your chef outfit. So thank you for answering that question. Um, but uh, to start to wrap things up here, I wanted to acknowledge you for how unpretentious you are. Um, and I mentioned to you that mentioned that to you before. But um, just Chef Rick is probably the most personable guy that I've ever met. I've never met a chef before, but I just kind of feel like a lot of the chefs out there are pretentious. Uh, that's just my overgeneralization. And, and if you listeners have beef with that, uh, let me know. And I'd be happy to hear what you have to say about it. But um, that's just kind of how I see the culinary world is that there's a lot of pretentious chefs out there, but there's obviously a lot of really cool ones like Chef Rick and I just wanted to thank you for, for coming on and providing your story and, and, uh, you know, being generous with your time and, um, sharing those, those insights and sharing those different cookbooks and stuff like that with these listeners and, and being somebody that young chefs can look up to as well as, uh, somebody that people in under industry, other industries can look at for inspiration. So thank you so much for coming on and, and providing all that information, Rick. I appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. So where can people connect with you? You mentioned email is the best place. So what email address do should people reach out to you on? It's chefrick at cateredcourses.com. Great. So chefrick at cateredcourses.com. You can also go to cateredcourses.com. If you're interested in doing like a, a corporate event where you need somebody to come out and cater um, for your event, um, if you want to do a cooking class like what Hulu did. Yes, I said Hulu, the TV streaming service. Um, that would be a great thing for Chef Rick to do for you. Um, but cateredcourses.com has a contact form, so you can you can reach out to him there as well. And also look at his different menus he has. So 
go check him out and give Chef Rick a shout if you have a question or if you if you want to talk to him, reach out. He uh, he'd be happy to hear from you. I know at least he was happy to hear from me, and we had a good conversation. So thank you so much once again. Um, anything else that you want to comment on or, or leave with the listeners? Nope. <laughs> hey, have a great day. Okay, great, awesome. I love it. Cool, man. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of the New Inspiration Extraordinary Gentleman podcast. If you enjoyed the content, give it a like, subscribe, and if you know someone who needs to hear this or wants to hear this, share it with them. Don't hold back. Let them hear it. And if you have any questions for me or my guest, we'd love to answer those questions for you. So shoot me a tweet. DM me on Instagram, leave a comment below on YouTube, or find me on Facebook. If you have Anchor FM, you can message me on my station. The username is at New Inspiration, N-U-I-N-S-P-I-R-A-T-I-O-N. And as always, make the rest of today extraordinary, gentlemen.